Hello and welcome. Good morning, good afternoon or good evening, depending on where you're watching from in the world. And thank you for joining us in this Lead Forensics webinar. My name is Mason Moll. I am the head of SDR, Sales Development Representatives for Arizona here at Lead Forensics. Today's webinar will be presented by Amy Cook, Global Development Director at Lead Forensics. And the title of today's presentation is Accelerate Sales, Your New Superpower, Overcoming Sales Objections. We will be using the questions function to take questions from the audience throughout. This can be found at the top right hand side of your screen. So do please send any questions in throughout the presentation and our speaker will answer as many questions as there is time for at the end. Um, thank you. Lovely to meet you all. And I'll now, now hand over to today's guest speaker, Amy Cook. Thank you. Thanks, Mason. Um, hi, everyone. Yeah, so my name's Amy. Um, as Mason said, I'm the Global Development Director for Mid-Market SDR, which is one of our departments here at Lead Forensics. Um, small backstory. So I've been with the business for just over a year and a half now. Um, I was brought in to start the SDR function for Mid-Market. Um, we did really well. We then grew and expanded over to Atlanta, which is where I'm now based. Um, and we've continued growing and obviously have now got a function uh, over in Arizona in Scottsdale, which Mason heads up uh, within my team. So uh, Mason and I are just going to be going through um, how we overcome objections, uh, just give you a taster of how we handle them on a day to day basis. And as Mason said, feel free to ask any questions as we go. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Amy. Well, uh, no time of the present. We'll get into it. So, um, yeah, we're going to be speaking about a lot of objections today, Amy. Um, one question I actually had for you to to begin with is what is an objection? What is your definition of what an objection is? Yeah, so um, I guess you can break it down into three different facets, Mason. So, uh, first of all, the most common kind of objection is, is really a buying question. Uh, customers need to be educated um, and maybe just don't understand the value at that current moment. So they're asking a question to allow you to educate them. Um, and then you get your reflex objections and your brush off objections, which if anybody prospects will be you know, very familiar with. And they're kind of our, our objections that we face typically at the start of any call where Somebody is either too busy or they haven't seen the value or they just think that they're being prospected. And so they're going to end the conversation before they give you too much time. Um, so I suppose they're the three different uh, definitions of objections that we face. Um, all slightly different, but very similar. Superb. So just to kind of reiterate there, we've got your genuine, authentic objections. We've got the brush offs and the reflexes. Um, how is it you've traditionally kind of tackled and handled these objections? What structure have you used? Yeah, so, I mean, I was an SDR way before I any, ever taught SDR. And this method I've always used since the moment I started sales, and it's the ARC method. There are lots of different structures, um, ARQ, ADA, um, but a ARC is kind of what I'm going to talk through today. So that's broken down into acknowledge, respond and close. So the acknowledgement is there and is really important and sometimes can be overlooked when handling an objection, but it's absolutely critical. 
Um, and the acknowledgement is essentially telling the decision maker that you're listening to them. It's a conversation, it lowers their guard. You're being empathetic and appreciating that some of their concerns you completely, you've heard before and, and you understand them. Um, once their guard's lowered and, and it's less confrontational, it's more of a conversation, you can then respond. Now the response piece is really dependent on which objection they've thrown at you, but that's your chance to educate them. That's your chance to reassure them as to why their, you know, their objection is okay, it's been heard, and this is how we're gonna continue, um, continue through, I suppose. And then you come back to the close. Now, um, the close towards the back end of the script is probably where you want to then absolutely go for the close. And, uh, and get the booking or agree a time or a next action. Um, if it's at the beginning of the script, you almost want to see it as you're going down a road, and an objection comes up, and all that is is that's that decision maker taking you slightly off the road, and it's your job to get back and continue the path you were on. So the close there, instead of then asking for times or using a closing method, would then be getting back to your structure, maybe asking a question or continuing what you were saying uh, when previously interrupted. So ARC, ARC. Brilliant, so we've got that defined structure. We know we can expect objections and you know, at large expect the same frequent objections over and over again. So why do so many sales professionals almost live in fear and, and dread objections? Yeah, great question. I think anybody that hasn't done sales before uh, getting an objection, you know, it's, it's rejection, isn't it? And I think we <laughs> as humans do everything we can to protect ourselves from rejection. And it's a mindset thing. It's a mindset thing that what you've said, somebody's not interested in. And people just have to take themselves aside from, you know, make it not personal. It's not they're saying no to you. It's we haven't, they haven't necessarily seen the value in what we're talking about. But it's an opportunity to educate someone. And in most cases, it's either a test or they've maybe had a few uh, cold calls earlier that morning and you've got to be different. You've got to really, you know, put yourself out there and tell them why you're calling. Um, or it's a way just to educate them and, hey, and be like, hey, I understand what you're saying, but, you know, this is why you can be reassured of that fact and this is absolutely going to be of value. So um, I think once you've practiced it, once you're confident in overcoming objections and you've been able to get back into your script or you have closed a booking off the back of overcoming an objection, you will build your confidence. But it's a mindset thing around it being a decision maker rejecting what you're saying. And, and it's not personal. It's, you know, we've got to look at ourselves and how we've delivered the value, first of all, and, and welcome objections so we can overcome them. Totally right. I, from my experience with leading SDRs, BDRs, BDMs, and prospectors, um, those who actually thrive off of that, that no and that rejection um, normally tend to get the best results. And by, by no means are they getting, um, you know, yeses um, more than, than those. They get a lot of no's, but they thrive off of that, and that leads to more yeses. Um, by almost taking that in their stride, I've always found that actually it builds that resilience that they take on to any future roles as well. So I'm totally right there. Thank you so much for those definitions. Um, what we'll do now is go into some of the more common objections that we've all faced at some point in time. OK, so the first one I wanted to kind of pose to yourself is the idea that we're just not in the market 
for this right now? We've all heard this one at some point. Yeah, thank you, Mace. So this is one um, that obviously comes up most frequently. And really what you have to do with this objection is, A, listen to the tone of voice that the person is using and listen to the level of detail that they are in fact giving, but also kind of read between the lines. If it's quite early on in the conversation, then what you'll find is somebody's just telling you that to give you a, you know, fob you off. That's a classic reflex objection. We're not in the market for this right now. And the reason why they're saying that is because they probably have a stack of other priorities um, and they're just really busy and they haven't maybe got the time to consider additional tech stack or whatever your your tool may be or, or, or product is that you're selling. So following, um, you know, the, the structure that I mentioned earlier, the first stage is obviously acknowledgement. Um, look, Mason, I completely appreciate I've called you out the blue right now. I bet you're spinning um, a thousand plates as a lot of my customers are when I first initially speak to them. Um, the reason I'm giving you a call is because I can see that currently you're not using any reverse IP tracking. So missing out on 98% of the businesses that hit your website with a legitimate need. And right now we're running free data captures to evidence those opportunities so you can make an informed decision off the back of the data. What works better? Mondays or Tuesdays for me to set that up. Something along those lines, you know, your you're, you're appreciating that their time is busy and actually they've, they've, they've got other projects on, but you're creating the fear of loss and making sure that they feel confident in the fact that you wouldn't have called them unless you thought that you could add value. So the tone of voice has got to be really confident there, also bringing quite a lot of authority. You know, I'm not being a time bandit for no reason. This is going to help you out. Absolutely right. And, and you're right there. You know, I, our job in sales is to interrupt people's uh, normal way of doing things. So um, is it a case you find that um, they're genuinely not in the market in some cases? Or is it just the fact they haven't heard your value proposition yet and just don't quite know that they're not in the market or are in the market just yet? Well, it can be a mix of two things, really, Mason, can't it? I guess the whole reason why why lead forensics is global and we are so successful in what we do is because timing is everything you know so being able to contact businesses when they're searching for what you do is is important but i think often if you are cold prospecting which we do often as well um it's about that they haven't they haven't listened to necessarily what you're saying or they don't see the value because you know specifically when we pitch lead forensics who wouldn't want to see businesses that are in their market browsing their website, right? But we haven't delivered it in a way where they think, wow, I have a pain and this is the solution. So you just need to go back and reiterate the value and really make it specific to their business. Make sure that they're picturing businesses looking for whatever they do in the market, on their website, searching products coming through their marketing channels like PPC or, you know, organically finding them through their SEO, but bouncing off before taking that final step. So it's just really about personalizing it, but really showing them the value that it could bring to them. And I bet they'll change their mind. Absolutely. That's a really important point there, Amy, actually, that, that timing piece. If you can contact people who are in the market at that exact time, um, one, you're never going to get this objection in theory and you're going to be seeing far higher conversions. So um, excellent. Thank you for that response. 
Um, moving on to the next objection then. So um, the next one we wanted to explore in a bit more detail is I'm just too busy to look at this. And you've mentioned being a time bandit already. Um, could you kind of, um, you know, go into a bit more detail to this one? Yeah, 100 percent. So um, this is a brush off or, or a re reflex objection. Um, when I when I tell my well, when I teach this to my team, I always use the same example. Um, so, if, for example, let's say, for example, Mason, you were looking to buy a pair of shoes, right? And you walk into a shoe shop and there's a sales assistant that's going to be probably stood quite close to the door. And what they always ask is, hi, good afternoon, good morning. Uh, can I help you with anything? And our knee jerk reaction every single time, regardless of whether we want a specific size, a specific color and a specific shoe, is to say, no, I'm OK, I'm just looking. Or no, thank you, that I'm fine. It's just we're innately built just to think I'm too busy, like, you know, I I'm not interested. I don't need this. Um, so, again, reassure them the acknowledgement. I completely appreciate that I've called you out the blue or you may not have expe been expecting my call today. We say about, you know, we reassure them where we we're working with a lot of those in your in your job title. So we completely respect how busy your day is and how many priorities you have. That's why when we run the free data capture, it runs in the background for seven days. And then the time is spent when you have more time looking through the results. The initial stage is just about getting that test set up. So you're 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 lowering their guard. You're letting them know that a a lot of others in their exact same job title feel the same kind of time restraints that they do. And we work around them. But also you could then change that response to the value again, show them why they should commit time. Because if you're speaking to a senior decision maker, which I think a lot of prospectors do, they want the ultimate decision maker on the call that's going to, you know, have, have have budget and whatnot and, and sign the paperwork. Then we can't go in uh, naively thinking that they just have loads of gaps in their diary. They're stacked. So you've got to give them a good enough reason to think, actually, this is worth me rearranging or, yeah, I'm actually going to cut my lunch break off by, by half an hour and uh, and entertain this. And then you go for the close the end at the end. What time works better for you? I'll work around your time scale because I know you're super busy. I have mornings or afternoon. Which suits your diary best? Really make sure you're putting the emphasis around their diary because they're really busy. Absolutely. And, you know, you've probably hit the nail on the head there, actually. You've interrupted someone's day and time already. One of the worst things you can do is then back down to this very much a brush of objection and then interrupt their time probably later in that week once again you know make the most of that opportunity there and then absolutely from yeah. your experience um again you know how often is this actually a, uh, a a genuine um objection i know people are busy but if we look at lead forensics for example and you're trying to secure 15 minutes you know how often is it someone wouldn't be able to squeeze 15 minutes into their diary yeah, look, you know, it's all about priority, right? So if someone sees something as a priority, they'll make that time. You need to you need to create the urgency on the call, and that's down to you as an SDR or a prospector or a leader to install into your team. You've got to create the urgency, and there's got to be a reason that, um, you know, a reason for them to give up that time. But it's a knee-jerk reaction. Everybody has 15 minutes. It's the classic excuse, I don't have time to go to the gym or I don't have time to read. Everybody has time. It's just not necessarily a priority for them at, at that moment in time. But, you know, you shift that focus and show them the value. And I bet they've got 15 minutes somewhere. I'd agree with you there. No, thank you. Fantastic response there.
So moving on to uh, the next objection then, and it's a bit of a peculiar one, but we've all heard it at some point in time. I am not the decision maker on this. Um, what's your thoughts on this objection at face value? Yeah, I'm smiling because we get that all the time. <laughs> and again, it's a classic fob off, right? Um, it can be, it can be genuine, but often, more often than not, it's a fob off because um, everybody kind of wants to pass things. Again, they've got they've got stacks of priorities. They're spinning multiple plates. Um, and, and for a tool, for example, at Lead Forensics, where you know, you really could be talking to the VP of sales or you could be talking to the VP of marketing or the head of either department and they'd see the value because it works both ways. Often they'll try and swing it to the other department. Right. A um, couple of fundamentals with this. Know who you're calling, know their job role and know the value it's going to bring to them before you even approach that phone call. So, you know, that when a sales director says you need to speak to marketing, you can say acknowledge. Thanks, John. Look, I hear that all the time. Completely appreciate why you may think that this is a marketing tool, but actually we always sit the initial demonstration with sales because inevitably it's going to be you and your team that are going to be utilizing the tool and seeing the rewards off the back of it. So you really need to make that judgment on the value. Looking at my diary, um, it's going to be best for us to schedule in a demonstration and show you how that works, what works best. And then same for marketing, right? They might want to um, push it over to sales and you've just got to show them the value. Jane, great question. I always hear that. We always speak to marketing first because you have control of the website and you spend day in, day out driving traffic over to the website. So really, it's going to be you that's going to want to see how we can capitalize on all that opportunity on the website there. What works best for me to show that to you. Nice, nice. Very good. And a great close at the end there. Um, what we find more often than not is, you know, with these mid-market size companies and enterprise size companies, um, not to say your, your SMEs also, but normally decisions we find uh, are made in kind of a democratic basis. There's lots of moving parts, different decision makers there. Um, how much would you encourage, you know, your prospecting team to have multiple touch points with multiple decision makers? Um. Do you mean, Mason, on the demonstration or, or prior? Just prior, when prospecting, yes. Yeah, absolutely. So um, for sure, you want to touch base with, with marketing and you want to touch base with sales. For us at Lead Forensics, specifically our bread and butter is marketing because they can put the code on the website. But should maybe their marketing be outsourced, then absolutely we want to be going for the head decision maker in sales. Um, but when actually running the demonstration, getting the booking, the best question you could possibly ask at the end is, who else should we get involved on the demonstration? Who else is this going to be interesting to show? Um, because ultimately, any kind of decision making process, as you mentioned, has got multiple stakeholders. So it's much better for one of our own account executives who know the product inside and out to show them and take them through that journey and overcome any you know, top of, top of mind questions that they might have during a demonstration. And having the marketing or the salesperson relay that message on to another department, because I think the message weakens every time there, just where it's new. And obviously, retention rates post-conversation can go down as low as 8%. So always get as many stakeholders as you can on that first initial demonstration. Your account executives will love you and you have a, you know, more chance of getting that contract in and a quicker sales cycle, too. Nice, nice. So it makes it far more efficient then. 
Well, speaking of, of multiple decision makers, I, I suppose when we get to that situation towards the back end of the sales process, um, those decision makers are then talking about whose budget it comes out of. But you know, a common objection that we get is we just don't have the budget for this right now. So how is it you, you look to kind of tackle and, and handle this objection? Yeah, good question. Again, budget's one that we get all the time, so we're very well rehearsed in that. Now, you've got to put this one into some perspective, right? Budget may be allocated uh, differently between different departments, and budget may be um, put aside for different resources throughout the year, but it is highly unlikely the budget has been sent and locked in at any point of the year. That's why Christmas is so successful for us, because people have budget left over that they either need to use or they need to lose. So for us, it's not necessarily that the fact that they have no budget. You just need to know that maybe it's been allocated and it may need to be that you need to show them the value so this budget can be reallocated to this instead of something else that they were going to use. For example, our customers, they must they might have all of their budget on PPC. Actually, if we can show them that three out of five of their keywords are working effectively and the other two are not, then that's, again, budget saved on their behalf. But it's just about reallocating their budget and seeing why budget should be spent on this. Um, but the way that we overcome it and, and any prospecting team or sales team that offer a free data capture can use something similar. It's you know, great, sounds like I've called you at the perfect time, that positive disruption uh, with the acknowledgement. This is the best time I could have called you if budget's a concern right now, because we're running free data captures. So you can actually see all the businesses that are in the market for your services and product right now, free of charge. And you wouldn't believe how many times our current customers have actually identified a client that they've been able to get hold of and turn into revenue, which has gone on to pay for the tool. For a year if not two so in order for me to show you how that works and have that same process achieved by yourself just get a demonstration booked in no obligation mondays or wednesdays work better you know and just getting it locked in that way because we have genuinely seen that if you run a free data capture and you're showing businesses in the market then absolutely they could sell off the back of the trial and have budget opened up that they didn't even know they had if they don't want to reallocate. So, yeah, I love that objection. Yeah, me too. And we, we see it time and time again, don't we? Not only does it pay for the lead forensics tool in terms of, of this conversation right now, but as marketers, we want to do lots of different um, fun, different activities that are going to enhance what we're already doing that we can implement, um, all of which are very expensive and pricey. By making quite a quick return on investment, it just enables us to invest in those as well. So it's a it's a win-win there, absolutely. Um, one one uh, phrase I used to throw out there when speaking with uh, decision makers who wanted to involve you know other departments, so sales and marketing, is well, let's loop marketing in a bit further down the line. We can take it out of their budget as well, which um, always went down um, a bit of a treat with that decision maker you were speaking to. So um, I agree. This is. Uh, a buying sign, much rather than, than an objection, right? Um, now, one, no matter what sort of vertical industry sector you're in, you're always going to have someone who's trying to, I suppose, undercut you or, or some kind of competitor out there. So with regards to competitors, if we hear that your competitors do it cheaper, how have you typically handled this objection? Yeah, there are many different ways. Um, I'm sure everybody's got their own 
special way that they overcome this one, I guess one of the key fundamentals is not to put down any other competitors. You don't want to seem, you know, like you're trying to take away from what they're doing and to, to, to make yourself look any better. Facts will speak from facts, right? And you just have to go about the business unique selling points. So fully forensics, it's, you know, great question there. Thank you for mentioning that. There's a reason why we do charge the prices that we charge. Firstly, we are the global leader. And what comes with that is that we have the largest IP database in the entire world, which means that we're naturally going to outmatch any of our competitors by, you know, upwards of 40%. Secondly, we have X amount of data scientists that scrub our data on, on a daily, monthly, weekly basis to ensure that the accuracy is there. So we welcome side-by-side -side comparisons so that you can make an informed decision, you know, an informed decision, sorry, off the back of the results. Um, and you let me know where your money is going to be best spent. So let's get that locked in um, so we can then run that comparison and, and, and you can come back to me and let me know what your thoughts are. But it's always giving the opportunity to the client to actually see it side by side for themselves. There are lots of cheaper solutions out there um, and we will always come out on top. So it's just important that you're not trying to put anyone else down and let the, let the data speak for itself, Mason. Absolutely. And you, know, you, you pay for what you get at the end of the day. And would you rather drive from one end of the country, the British Isles, on a bicycle or in a Ferrari? I know I'd rather use that Ferrari to get there a little bit quicker. Um, absolutely. Um, brilliant. Um, now, an objection, and I'm sure the audience have, have all had this one before, um, of can you just send me some more information, some further information into your product or your offering or service, whatever it is that you're selling at the time. Um, what's your kind of thoughts on that objection? How have you handled that in the past? Yeah, it comes up all the time. And, you know, on one hand, you have to respect that people like to consider things in their own time when they're able to really just focus in and laser in on it. Um, but our SDRs do such an incredibly, um, you know, an incredibly good job of getting the decision makers on the line. And it's tough, you know, think about the amount of phone calls, the amount of data enrichment, the amount of research that's had to go into getting that decision maker on the line. Why would you risk? not getting hold of them again and allowing them to uh, just give you their email and, and, and not commit to anything more. So I always encourage a pushback on this one. OK, and the reason for that is an email is not going to give you too much more information than what was discussed in the initial call. But actually seeing is believing. So instead of an email around this is what we do, this is how we help generic customers or, or others. Let's run a free data capture. It's a really visual tool. Then I can send you an email off the back of the demonstration with the exact value, the exact businesses we identified for you, and an idea of the cost. So you can actually make an informed decision off everything that you're going to want to review in your own time, which is fair enough. But let's make it specific to you first. And I would obviously layer that with my typical ARC. Completely appreciate that you would like to see an email. What I said there for the response. So let's go ahead and get this scheduled in um, so we can actually see what that looks like. And I can send you that email off the back of the process. Absolutely. No, I love that using that method there. And 
for any of the audience who've ever read um, Objections by Jeff Blount, he mentions the ledge quite a lot, and this objection in particular. Can you send me some further information? You want to really kind of anchor that conversation and throw out something that's going to change that, that brain psychology. Something along the lines of, I'm so happy you want to learn more about my business or my offering. And it really helps, you know, with that art method as well, kind of cement the conversation going forward. Excellent. Now, the final uh, objection that I want to discuss with yourself is in a lot of people's minds, this does come down to mindset, maybe the hardest one to tackle. And it's that we're just not interested. So uh, how is it you kind of coach to deal with this? Yeah, it depends where that is in the script. Um, if it's at the very beginning, again, it's about the value, right? And very simply, understand your quick reaction there. I, I, I wouldn't expect you to be, to be interested. I haven't yet shown you why I've called you or shown you any value to your business. Back into the script. Straight away, while you call in, what do you do? If it's right at the end, um, then you need to ask more questions and you need to think about, well, how do I make this about them? And really, they're not interested in what you've just said. But if you're a business that has multiple use cases, you just have to ask them a question and loop it back and keep going around the value build. Because what you may not have, what you may have spoken about that isolated area in your talk track or your scripts, whatever you guys call it. Um, may not have hit that spot, but you always need to just go back and think, actually, there must be another angle here. And there typically always is. There's something that's, you know, uh, not really hit home. And you've just got to find that pain point through questioning and building that value again and going for the close around that way. But if it's right at the beginning, it's, it's just that that reassurance of, you know, I've not given you anything to be interested in yet, but I wouldn't have called you unless I really thought that I could add value and show you something incredible today. So Give me 30 seconds. I'll be in and out of your hair like your favorite shampoo. I've heard one of your team say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you've hit the, the nail on the head there, actually. Um, it's so important you kind of loop this back and, and take it at face value for what it is. You've interrupted someone's time. It is a brush off. Only through discovering and that, that intrigue creating can you bring that conversation back on track. Well, you know, thank you so much for for showing the audience and myself how you how did you handle these objections? Um, what are some of your key takeaways when handling sales objections? Then? So always stick to the ALC method or stick to your structure. Don't make them long-winded. Objections need to be short, sharp, to the point. They need to add value, but they also need to pack a punch. Um, don't ever leave an objection open. Don't ever deliver a great acknowledgement, a great response. And then just pause and wait for them to jump and say, oh, my goodness, you changed my mind. That sounds great. Always close the door behind you. Um, you'll find that if you leave it open, you'll always be met with another objection. and You'll go through a bit of a process and a, and a negative cycle there with the customer. Um, but stick to the structure. See it as a, a, as a question, as a buying sign and welcome it. You know, the more you face objections in the face um, and, and you overcome them, the more confident and, and, and better you're going to be able to execute them as you go on. And objection handling works. Yeah, people are renowned for saying no the first time. They just need to be educated. And as long as you understand the value you can bring to them, they will listen and they will go ahead and book in the end. So, yeah, they're my key takeaways. Very nice. No, I love that a lot. That's brilliant. Well, you know, thank you so much for the presentation, Amy. There was a lot of, of value to be um, delivered there. That was um, 
exquisite, actually. Um, if you have any questions reaching out to our audience today for our speaker, then please do post them in the question function now. And just whilst you're doing that, um, sort of lead forensics offer for you today in the audience is do try out lead forensics on your website for two weeks for free. There's no which exact businesses are responding to your existing marketing efforts and what they're looking at in real time. Um, so just going to open up now to see if there are any questions whatsoever. Um, for anyone who would like to actually claim this exclusive, exclusive two-week extended free trial of Lead Forensics, there is a, a poll um, in the chat function right now. So please do uh, get in touch. Um, just to the side here, as you can see. Um, now, anyone who would like to um, get in touch um, with any of their own questions on a more personal note, at the end of this presentation, you'll have some QR codes linking to both um, Amy and, and myself's um, uh, LinkedIn profile. And I'd be happy, both of us would be, to answer any more questions and um, you know, alleviate a little bit more of what's been discussed today. Um, now, I'm not seeing any more questions coming through on the chat at the moment. So um, I'll, I'll take that, Amy, as we've um, satisfied your questions. Now, um, as I mentioned again, if anyone has got um, any further requirements from myself or Amy, do get in touch. And to take up that two weeks extended free trial, please get in touch either with ourselves um, or Lead Forensics directly. And we'll be happy to have a conversation regarding your website traffic and marketing efforts. Um, but thank you again to our speaker, Amy Cook. And thank you all for watching today's webinar. Thank you for your time, everyone.